Welcome to Academic Advising for a Wise Education. This is the podcast that teaches things about higher education to help improve your learning and studying, make smarter choices of a major and coursework, understand how colleges and universities work, find internships and research assignments that complement your classroom learning, be financially sensible, become academically mature, prepare for graduate school, and plan for your future career. I'm Advisor Jay. Today's topic is Starting at a College or University, Part 2. Your entry to a college or university as a new student can be a very exciting time. It may feel like a whole new world is opening up in your life. I want to help you ensure that important steps are taken in those early days, weeks, and months. My first four items of advice were shared in Part 1. They were intended as things to do as soon as possible prior to your first term at the college or university, but you can still do them even if classes have already begun. Let's continue. Item 5. Learn about your department and the curriculum for your major. As useful as any website can be for widespread dispensing of information, what you see at a site is only accurate and complete to the extent that people in charge of the site properly maintain it. This can be true at any website, but I am especially disappointed at how many academic websites are bad in this regard. Colleges and universities traditionally hold students accountable for knowing rules and following procedures, all of which are supposed to be posted at their websites, and yet the information at those sites is not necessarily reliable. Website content might be outdated, might not be complete, might be ambiguous and open to multiple interpretations, and might be contradicted by information elsewhere on the website. Worse, you could be looking at a web page today where outdated content exists, and then you act on that old information, and by the time you learn that it was inaccurate, a webmaster has updated the site, and you now have no proof of what you read days, weeks, or months earlier. Always keep this in mind with websites in general. My advice is that you make a habit of printing a PDF of anything at a site that you want to keep or may need to act on. That will be your proof of what was there when you saw it. And of course, keep any such PDFs well-organized with meaningful file names. The curriculum for your major is a listing of coursework requirements for the major. You might receive a digital copy of it by email or by paper copy at an orientation session or in person at your department. Be certain that the copy of the curriculum that you have is current and complete. Its content should be in agreement with the curriculum as stated in the campus catalog or bulletin. If anything about the curriculum is unclear, ask an official source in the department for clarification as soon as possible and get that person's answers in writing. If there are requirements in addition to coursework that you must satisfy, you need to know about them. An example would be an internship or practicum of some sort. Your department may have services that are not well advertised or that you may need to get on a mailing list to be informed about. There may be student organizations that would interest you. There may be an undergraduate computer laboratory, study space, student lounge, and so on. I would expect all of this to be documented at the department website, but again, remember, not all information at websites is up to date and complete. Item 6. Learn the rules and procedures for enrollment. It's common at contemporary public college and university campuses for their administrations to accept far more students than their infrastructure can support. If that is the practice at your institution, a consequence of this is that classes are probably almost always full. This is why it is smart to enroll in classes as early as possible. The earliest dates that students can enroll is probably handled according to a hierarchy. If so, you need to know where you fit in. 
First-year students are traditionally at the bottom of the ranking for priority in enrolling in classes unless a person is in a group that gets some favored status. Sometimes you will have no choice but to get on the waitlist for a class. Whatever the rules are for waitlists, you need to know them. Get official answers to questions like these. 1. How long does someone stay on the waitlist? 2. If space opens in a class that you are on the waitlist for, will you be automatically moved from the waitlist to the enrolled list and officially notified of this, or will you be officially notified and then given the opportunity to manually enroll yourself if you choose to? This issue about waitlists is important. Let me give you an example of how things can go wrong with a waitlist issue. What I'm about to tell you occurred when I was working at a university in an advising role. A student consulted me about a class she had been on the waitlist for weeks earlier. She told me that she attended the first session or two of the class at the beginning of the term and decided that it was not to her liking. Since she was on the waitlist, not the enrolled list, she figured she did not need to take any action. Her understanding was that if space opened for her in the class, she would be notified by email and she would then decline the offer. If instead no space opened for her in the class, her understanding was that she would eventually be dropped from the waitlist. Either way, if she understood it, she had nothing to worry about if she just stopped attending the class. Remember, she only attended the first one or two meetings at the beginning of the term. What this student only discovered several weeks later, when it was time to enroll in classes for the next term, was that she had been automatically moved from the waitlist to the enrolled list in that class when space opened for her, but she was never notified of this. Now that it was the middle of the term, the drop deadline had long passed. Now that's a term I'll explain shortly. The situation caused a serious mess for this student. In talking to me, I determined that according to campus rules, she indeed should have been notified about that automatic transfer from the waitlist. Still, even though the mistake was the fault of campus administration, it is not as if the situation would be repaired on its own. When I spoke to the Director of Academic Affairs, who had the power to make the recommendation to the relevant dean on what to do, the director at that time was only willing to advise that the student be assigned a W on her transcript for the course, as if she had withdrawn from it. That's another term I'll explain shortly. I was not satisfied with that, because the W would not look good on her record, nor was it an accurate reflection of what happened. The situation was even worse when the faculty member teaching that course accidentally assigned the student an F grade for the course at the end of the term, instead of leaving the grade blank as I asked her to. That was an additional mess that needed to be fixed. I wrote a memorandum to the student's faculty advisor that convinced him of how we needed to argue this in order to make the situation right for the student. He agreed, was fully satisfied with my proposal, and asked me to go ahead and write an official memorandum that he would sign and then would be presented to that Director of Academic Affairs. And I was able to also convince the Director of Academic Affairs to do the right thing once she received that memorandum and read it. In the end, the F grade was removed from the student's record and no W was recorded. The course was altogether absent from the student's transcript. What this story demonstrates is that unless you as a student know the rules and who to talk to and can advocate for yourself, or you have someone like me on the inside who cares enough to do all the work to convince the right people in writing to do the right thing, you should not assume that you will receive fairness from a college or university administration. Without one of those two things, you may find yourself up against a system that is not designed to be fair.
I hope you see from this example the importance of having advice from a professional in a variety of situations. It's an example of the help that I provide students in my online advising service, which will be described at the end of this episode. In the example that I just went over, I use the term drop deadline. Let me explain what it means because it is not the same as the withdrawal deadline. Every campus I was a student at or taught at or advised at used these terms, although the lengths of time related to each varied from campus to campus. The drop deadline is a relatively short period of time early in a school term in which you can officially remove yourself from a class without any mention of it appearing on your transcript, which is the official record of your coursework. What this means is if you officially drop a class, anyone looking at your transcript in the future will never know that you were once enrolled in it. Another option for removing yourself from a class is by withdrawing. This option lasts longer than the drop period. When you withdraw from a class, a W appears on your transcript along with the name of the course. That communicates to others that you were once in the class but did not stay in it. The transcript does not say why you withdrew. Remember that if you drop a class, no mention of it appears on the transcript at all. The withdrawal deadline is traditionally later than the drop deadline. Check with your campus to learn when during each school term the drop deadline is and when the withdrawal deadline is. Also important to know is the add deadline for each school term, which is the last date that you can enroll in a class. The website of your campus should have the add deadline for the term, the drop deadline, the withdrawal deadline, the first and final dates of instruction for the term, the dates of holidays, and the period designated for final examinations. If you're having trouble finding this information at the campus website, search for the Office of the Registrar or try searching for Important Dates. Finally, on this point, it's not enough to know the last date by which you can or need to take some action. You also need to know the latest time that date that the action must be taken in order to be effective that day. Don't assume it's the final minute of the calendar day. Even if that's when it is, I strongly advise against ever waiting until the last minute to get something important done. If a computer or network problem were to interfere with the action being executed prior to the deadline, you might be out of luck altogether unless you can prove there was a malfunction, and even then you may have a lot of time-consuming actions to take in talking to people, filling out forms, and waiting before getting a resolution. Item 7. Obtain and carry your student identification card. College and university campuses normally issue identification cards to students. The reason for this is a campus may have students from all over the country and internationally, and it would be very time-consuming for every employee who needs to know who you are to try to verify the validity of identification cards from the 50 states and passports from all over the world. Campus officials are supposed to verify a student's identity before releasing information from the student's record, a consistent campus identification card makes it easy for all campus personnel to quickly check on who you are. You should have your college or university identification card with you whenever you are on campus and show it upon demand to any campus official before expecting to transact business. In my experience, campuses normally issue the first identification card free to each student and only charge a fee if you lose it or it needs to be replaced due to damage. Item 8. Learn the campus rules about grading and academic integrity. The rules and procedures that govern grading at your college or university may be very different from what you were used to in high school. Grading is a topic that deserves its own episode in this podcast. For now, I want to emphasize that you should not assume anything. Read what the campus administration says about grading 
and definitely read what your professors say on their syllabi about grading. Likewise, for academic integrity, you should know the campus policies on this and how allegations of misconduct are handled. Learning about this is something every student should do, if only because academic integrity is handled differently from one institution to another. What may have been fully acceptable at your high school may be considered cheating at your college or university, and vice versa. Getting started at a college or university is too much to cover, even in two episodes. Look for a continuation of this topic in the future. For now, here's a reminder of the advice in this episode. Item 5. Learn about your department and the curriculum for your major. Item 6. Learn the rules and procedures for enrollment. Item 7. Obtain and carry your student identification card. Item 8. Learn the campus rules about grading and academic integrity. There is plenty more I can say on this topic, and so I want to emphasize that the podcast is not the only way you can hear from me. For personalized advising via Zoom, reach me at the contact information provided in the description for this podcast. In your message, be sure to mention your name so that I can respond to you as a person. Include a detailed description and explanation of your situation, and clearly state what help you would like to receive from me. If there are questions based on today's topic that you want to ask me, state them. If it's help with another topic that you want, tell me what that topic is. Let me know your availability over the next week or two for a meeting via Zoom. For some situations, a person may need a one-time session to get questions answered and hear my advice. In other cases, you might want or need multiple sessions because the topic or issues may be too much to address in a single meeting. Or maybe you want to arrange advising from me on a regular basis, such as every few weeks, every month, or whatever the case might be. I will reply to your message with an estimation of how much time it will take to help you and let you know my fee. My job is not just to dispense information, but to help you make decisions that are sensible, realistic, efficient, cost-saving, and with the best possible outcome as I see it. I don't just want you to be educated. I want you to be wise. That's all for this episode. I look forward to sharing more information and advice with you in the future. You've been listening to Academic Advising for a Wise Education, a podcast by Advisor J. We hope the information and advice presented was enlightening. These episodes offer general advice. Your situation may call for additional action or an altogether different approach. For personalized guidance specific to you, Advisor J offers video advice via Zoom for a fee. Contact J at treasureoflifeatoutlook.com. That's treasure of life at outlook.com. When emailing, please include your name, a detailed description of your situation, and clearly state what help you need. Advisor J is here to assist you, but ultimately your education is your responsibility, and so all decisions are your own to make. That email address can also be used to send Advisor J any comment about the podcast. Knowledge alone is rarely enough. In life, it pays to be wise.